This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox at Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For more information about the church, go to antiochchurchnc.org. How y'all doing? Good. Caleb, that last song was beautiful. Um, but whenever we play a song that I've not... Oh, our verse today, if you want to look it up, is Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Uh, every time we play a new song uh, that I haven't been here before to, to sing, I realize how many tall people we have um, that are always in front of me because the entire middle of the screen is missing. And it's a very fun guessing game. But that song, that was beautiful. I, I enjoyed that one. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Good morning, saints, those who are present with us physically and those who are online. You're physical somewhere, I guess. You know, it occurs to me that tonight some of you will watch the Super Bowl, some of you couldn't care less, but one of the reasons people watch sports is because we are uncertain of the outcome, at least most of the time we are, right? Aren't you glad that we are not uncertain of the outcome that really matters? We just sang about it. He will never let you down. We just sang about it. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Is that just the people who know Jesus? Is that just the, 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 the saints who are going to bow their knee and confess that Jesus is Lord? No. Every tongue will confess. That outcome is certain. Praise God. We don't have to wonder. You know, I wonder if Jesus is really going to win this last battle. You know, we're going to be okay. Yes, we are. Last week, we read that Peter encourages believers to make every effort to add these certain qualities, these Christian character, this, this fruit of the Spirit to our faith. These qualities, remember, were given to us in a literary ladder. So we start with faith and we add to our faith, right? Uh, virtue, and we add to virtue uh, knowledge and self-control, and all the way up to the top of the rung, which is agape. Somebody asked me this week, does that mean we don't have... Any love until we've added these other things? Oh, no. All of these character qualities, because we are in Christ and he is in us, he comes in bringing those qualities to us. But we grow in those. We're called to increase in those, right? One of you wrote to me last Sunday and said, appreciate the word today. I have some work to do on that ladder. And I wrote back, hey, brother, so do I, so do we all. Amen? So in this passage, Peter's going to tell us why these qualities of Christian character are important, not just to our spiritual health, but even as proof, this is so important, as proof of our calling and election. But he also encourages us that no one has that ladder mastered. No one has arrived. Instead, those qualities are all increasing in us, or at least they're supposed to be, right, by God's grace. 
So let's look at this passage today under three main points, encouragement, warning, and glorious promise. First, Peter gives us two important qualifiers to these qualities that should be present in our lives. He uses the conditional promise, the if-then clause that we see in scriptures, scriptures sometimes to help us to see that. The first thing, the first qualifier, Peter says, is if these qualities are yours, if these qualities are yours, right? Either these Christian traits are in us or they are not. And they're not in us if we're not born again. But if we are born again, they are in us. He says either the, these are in you or not. If, we're, if we are partakers of the divine nature, we're freed from the world's love affair with evil desire. And we're growing in these traits that mark Christian faith. Then, then that's proof that we belong to Jesus. Look, some may try to put these qualities on for a while without the Spirit of God living in them. But you know and I know that it's, it's an impossible task. You can't pull it off. You might can fake it till you make it for a little while, but eventually you're going to break it. It's not going to happen. You're gonna, it's going to fall apart because you can't do it except by the grace of God. So if these are yours, and then he says, and the second qualifier is if these qualities are increasing. I love that. I love that Peter said increasing. You know why? Because he didn't say perfected. Or he didn't say pure as gold. Or he didn't say just like Jesus. Because that would be a disheartening thing for all of us. We would, that would deflate us all of us who know that we will never, ever be perfect, that we will never have these qualities just like Jesus, at least not this side of heaven. And even then, we're, we're not going to be just like Jesus. He's God and we're not, right? But they should be, Peter says, they should be yours and they should be increasing. Paul says something similar to young Timothy. After he had told Timothy, this is in 1 Timothy 4, he says, Timothy, I want you to be an example. Don't let them look down on your youth. Be an example as a young man in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. And by the way, Timothy, give yourself to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And Timothy, use your gift. Whew, that's a lot, right? But then Paul writes this. He says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. He doesn't say so that all may see your perfection. That you have finally mastered all of these things, Peter or, or Timothy. No, that your character is in Christ and it is increasing. You know, Paul loved that word increasing as well. He used it numerous times. Here's one more example. He's greeting the church in, in uh, Thessalonica. And he says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. And anytime you see that word brothers, the Greek word can mean brothers and sisters. usually does. As is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. The love of every one of you for one another is increasing. And I think Paul, if he were here, would say, that sounds a lot like Antioch. And I think it does. Now, Peter goes further in his encouragement. He says, if these qualities are increasing, they give you a place to stand. You see that in, in verse 8, right? Uh, I, I'm sorry, yeah. Um, what is it, verse 8? 
Yeah, for these qualities are yours increasing. They keep you. The word there for keep literally means uh, to help stand. They keep you, but they give you a place to, to, to stand, right? They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful, as Jesus talked about when he explained the seed that was sown among thorns. He said the, the seed that was sown among thorns is not given a place to stand. It's not going to be fruitful. It's thrown in among thorns. They're going to choke that out. Remember what he said about the thorns? He said the thorns are the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches that choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So Peter's saying if you, these qualities are in you, and they are increasing in your life, which they should be for followers of Jesus, then that gives you a place to stand. You will not be found unfruitful. The master will not come back one day and find you having hid your talent in the dirt because you were afraid. You know, you're an unjust man and, and you, you know. No, you, you will be found fruitful. You've been given a place to stand in the grace of God and the knowledge of Christ. So that leads us to then verse 9, which is a warning. In verse 9, Peter's going to double down on the tragedy of living a life of, un, of an unfruitful life without these. He says a person like that is so nearsighted, he's blind. And Green wrote this, those who reject Christian virtue become spiritually blind. A common image in the New Testament. Have you ever thought, why did Jesus heal so many blind people in his ministry? For three years, he healed a lot of blind people. And, and there were so many probably that we don't know about that he healed as well. As John said at the end of his, you know, if all the stories about Jesus were told, then the world could not contain the books that were written in the end of John's gospel. So he healed blind people, a lot of them. Why did he heal them? I think there are three reasons. Number one, there were a lot of blind people. A lot of blind people. Number two, no one had ever lived who could do that before. Jesus because he has authority over all things, including blindness, he was able to heal the blind. But I think the third reason, and maybe, maybe the most important, was because he wanted men and women to see and understand that our sin nature is spiritual blindness that leads to death. And unless we are rescued by the Lord Jesus, then we will never see. And, and only Jesus can heal spiritual blindness. Now, there are doctors that can do things today that help people that were blind to see, right? It's amazing. I was technically blind. My eyesight was so bad that uh, I was told by my eye doctor, yeah, if you lived in a third world country where you couldn't have corrective lenses, you'd be led around by the hand, you know? So you can get your sight back sometimes, but not your spiritual sight. Your spiritual blindness without Christ is hopeless and helpless apart from him. And the greatest blindness belongs to those that think they can see without the life and resurrection and truth of Christ. That's the greatest blindness in the world, is the people who think they see when, they're, when they don't see. In fact, Jesus said, y'all, if, if, if he knew he was blind, then he could see. Somebody asked him that question. I mean, he called the Pharisees in Matthew 23 blind guides. Anybody ever thought about climbing Mount Everest? It's a very difficult and dangerous thing. A lot of people have died. Would you go up Mount Everest following a blind guide? I think there's nothing more dangerous in the world than a blind guide. Not just on Everest, but anywhere. 
And I would, suggest, I would suggest to you that much of social media and much of what's taught in university classrooms and much of what's proclaimed in the media and on television and by the world as wonderful and noteworthy would be labeled by God as blind guidance. In that same passage in Matthew 23, Jesus calls Pharisees blind fools and blind men. I thought about that song by Ray Stevens, There is none so blind as he who will not see. Then Peter says, the one who refuses to see has forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, this is a difficult thing here, and there's been much written about it, and there's, it's a conundrum, and, and, it, and it's caused controversy in Christian circles. What does he mean by that? That somebody, is for, he's forgotten that he was cleansed by his former sins. He's now blind because he's forgotten that he was cleansed. Well, Peter doesn't comment. He doesn't give us an explanation, does he? I think there are two, two ways to think about this. One way is that this idea of cleansing refers to people who have been ritually cleansed through a confirmation class, through simply uttering some words like reciting a sinner's prayer with their mouth but not with their heart, or getting baptized Right? We've said this over and over. When somebody is being baptized out there in the, in the old cattle trough, that is not salvific. It does not save them. It cannot save them. We're baptizing them because they have been saved. But somebody who says, well, I got baptized as an infant, you know, or, or whatever, and therefore uh, that was when I became a, a, a believer or I was saved. No. Or maybe it's somebody who just worked really hard and tried to make some external changes. And some people can do that. They're very disciplined and orderly and, and, and strong in their mind and in their, their will. And they've cleaned themselves up as best they can. What have they not cleaned up? Their heart. Their heart's still dead. Their spirit is still dead. Their nature is still sin nature. Even though they've become a pretty orderly and pretty, you know, per person who does some good stuff. So I think because of the verse that follows this, Peter is possibly addressing those in the church that are not saved, as evidenced by their lack of spiritual growth. It's also possible, the ESV study Bible says this, that this could apply to a true believer who's fallen into serious sin. Okay? So they could see they were born again, they were walking with the Lord, and then they enter into a sin that they will simply not let go of. And now the fruit in their life is not there anymore, not, not the, the, the increasing fruit, fruit of a Christian character. And perhaps Paul was talking about Hymenaeus and Philetus like this, who swerved from the truth, he said, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands. He says in verse 19, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So I think these guys were probably believers, but they had fallen into this, this sin and this, this uh, you know, wrong teaching and Paul is saying they need to depart from iniquity. They need to come back. I know that the guy in 1 Corinthians 5 who was sleeping with his mother-in-law, and Paul said, put him out of the church, turn him over to Satan, that he, his soul may be saved, yet through fire. In other words, he was a believer. 
And yet he was in this egregious sin. The church was proud of their affirmation or approval and their, and their, their what is the word now, tolerance. We, we tolerate you, brother. Paul said, no. You turn him over to Satan so that he can come back to what he once believed. And we believe that he did come back. In 2 Corinthians, Paul's reproving them because he's saying, hey, how come you're not forgiving this guy? He's come back. Forgive him. Don't hold stuff against him. So... We don't know which of these it is. It could be either one. But that's the warning for someone who's not walking in the truth and not increasing in this fruit that we need to increase in. And then there's a glorious promise. The last part is a glorious promise. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. Verse 10 starts with therefore, and that makes us ask the question, what is it therefore, therefore? And it's simply this, if you are partakers of the divine nature, which we're told by Peter, we are. If we are called to his glory and excellence, which Peter says we are. If we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness, which Peter said we have been. And we are not growing in faith, and we are not adding these virtues to our faith, but instead we're stumbling around in what appears to be spiritual darkness. There's a concern that must be addressed. Notice that Peter says, therefore, brothers. Again, that word can mean brothers and sisters. He is addressing the church. He's addressing the church. The church is not a guild or a social club or even a fraternity. It's a brotherhood and sisterhood. It's a family. And Peter is urging his family of faith. What does he say to us? He says, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. That can be scary stuff. This strong encouragement added to make every effort in verse 5 is we are called to increase in these things, make every effort, so that we will be intentional in confirming our calling and election. Let's break those words down real quickly. Your calling happened when God summoned you to believe. That's when you were called. When you started, when you believed in Jesus for the first time, you confessed with your mouth, you believed it with your heart, and you really became a Christian, you were called. Well, how do we know that before that you, you couldn't, or how, how do we know that this calling is all of God and nothing of you? That verse right there, and a lot of other verses in the New Testament. Peter, Paul said in Ephesians 2, 1, he says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins. You could not call yourself to follow God. You could not do it. It was God's calling, His divine summons, enabled by faith that He gives. Ephesians 2, uh, eight and nine, by grace we've been saved. This is from a, a gift from God. Without that faith, we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. But He's called us into life, and He's called us into holiness. He's called us to be set apart from the world. Don't live like the world. If you look like the world and you belong to Me, then repentance is in order. What is election then? Election is the basis of God's calling. Election is the basis. His divine summons, his calling for you and me started in heaven before anything was created. Read Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11. Read 1 Peter 1. He wrote to the elect exiles. We talked about that when we went through the book, right? 
The word for election here is interesting. It was used in Rome also for military selection. And you know, the, the soldiers who were elected to serve in the military were elected on the basis of merit and ability. But when we talk about God's election, it has nothing to do with merit and ability. Amen? It has everything to do with God's love. Based solely on his love because none of us has merit and none of us have ability that makes us worthy of salvation. So what is Peter saying here? Confirm that you really do belong to Jesus. Confirm that you really are born again and that you don't answer phone calls during a sermon. Confirm that you belong to Jesus, right? And, and pra- by practicing these qualities, he's saying, look, be diligent to do these things and practice these things because they confirm your calling. They give you confidence and assurance that you really do belong to him. Because as I said, people can try to do these things. They can try to be more brotherly loving. They can try to be you know, more virtuous and they can try to have more self-control. But if it's simply them trying in their strength, it will not last. They will be like those people that come in and out of rehab over and over and over again until they finally come to the place where they die to themselves and say, I hate this sin in me, I hate this habit, and I'll do anything it takes. And a lot lot of times anything it takes means Jesus, right? For them to come out of that sin of addiction, it means Jesus. And he will give them the ability to do that. And that this practice builds your assurance, provides evidence that you are indeed a Christian. You know, Paul wrote, Paul wrote this in, um, in 1 Thessalonians 1. He said, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. There's that summons and that election. Because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit... And with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to others. There's the process right there. That's the process that Peter is talking about. The called... Receive the gospel in word and power. Their lives are changed and keep changing. They imitate more mature believers as they grow in Christ. And then they rejoice in the spirit even if they're suffering. And they become examples that others can follow. That's that's the normal pattern of a Christian. Anything else, there's a problem. Somebody is not imitating mature believers, so they're not growing in Christ. There's a problem. And it may be that they were, they were never born again. They never received the gospel in word and power. They heard it. They walked down front. They said, yeah, that sounds good to me. Sign me up. But their heart was never changed. Or it may be they were changed. Their lives were changed. They began to imitate believer, other mature believers. And then suffering comes. They have a loss. They don't have something they want. They have something they don't want. And they don't rejoice in the Spirit. And they don't continue to grow. And they 
take a different path into the far country. And God loves them, and he's calling them. And listen, that's what the church is here for. When there are people living that way, it's our responsibility to love them back into the kingdom. And sometimes love is severe mercy. That's what church discipline is. It's a severe mercy because the end result, we pray, we hope, is that they respond and repent and come back out of that pig slop and back into the body of Christ where they can grow again and become an example for others to follow because right now they're not. They're not an example others should follow. And that's why we have to say, listen, you can't be here. We love you enough to say we want you to turn. And then he says if you, if you practice these qualities, he, he says in verse 10, you see that? You will never fall. Now, what does that mean? You'll never fall down? You'll never fail? You'll never sin? Of course not. It doesn't mean that. Right? The righteous fall seven times, but he gets up, he keeps going. We all will, we all do sin and fall. What it means is you'll never fall into apostasy. A gospel coalition definition of apostasy is this. It's decisively turning away from the faith. An apostate is a person who once claimed to be a Christian but has irreversibly abandoned and renounced orthodox Christianity. Paul talked about that in 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly said that in later times some will depart from the faith. But I would contend that those who depart from what they, they, the, from the faith, they're departing from something they profess, but they never possessed. I believe true believers can never fall into apostasy. Why do I believe that? True believers are held on to by Jesus. And this is the will of him, Jesus said, who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. He's talking about us. And Jesus said in John 10, 27, no one will snatch them, my sheep, who hear my voice and follow me. No one will snatch them out of my hand. He says, I will give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one, no thing, even themselves, will snatch them out of my hand. We're almost done. R.C. Sproul said this, Some who are truly saved are afraid they might lose their salvation. However, if they really have it, they will never lose it. If they lose it, they never had it. The only way we can be born again is that the Holy Spirit changes the disposition of our heart. And the only way that the Holy Spirit changes the disposition of our hearts is if He calls us internally by the power of His might. Because we were chosen before the foundation of the world and because He has summoned us to a place of surrender and faith and we will never, ever walk away from Him. We may sin and stumble. We may have to go through church discipline, but eventually we come back. Because he loves his sheep and he will not let one of them slip away. Be diligent, saints, to walk in these virtues as we do our assurance of our faith grows. And Peter says, when walking this path, there's rich provision for you. There's so much I could even say about this last verse, but I'm not going to take the time. But he says, it provides an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is there anything better than that? Everybody said... Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would confirm our calling and election, that we would be diligent. We would be diligent to confirm our calling and election ourselves, but that you would help us 
by showing us in our works, in our love for you, in our desire to grow, in our increasing in these characteristics and fruits of the Spirit, in our wanting to be examples for others, good examples, Lord, that you would confirm our calling and election. And Lord, uh, please keep us from falling away uh, for a day, for a month, for a year. Lord, keep us from falling away. Keep us walking with you day by day and help us to love one another uh, to keep our brothers and sisters walking with you as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. Antioch Community Church meets every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon, North Carolina. For more information, please go to AntiochChurchNC.org.